Lord, I pray once again that you will help me with clarity and conciseness and compelling application to proclaim your word. And this is only possible by the Holy Spirit who was purchased for us by the Lord Jesus Christ when he died and rose again. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Bless us, Lord, as we hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we have an interesting picture here in the uh, last verse of 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 3.18, where he speaks about we have unveiled faces and we reflect uh, the glory, the Lord's glory. And if you look at the bottom of the page, you'll see verse 18, or contemplate. Let me give you the figure of speech. Did anyone look at, in the mirror today? Everybody looked in the mirror. I looked in the mirror because the most difficult thing in shaving is when you have facial hair. And uh, years ago, I had a, my kids bought a, uh, a shave for me at a mall in Baton Rouge. And so I had the guy shave me. And uh, he said, you know, you would look better if you didn't have that big bushy mustache and you just had a pencil mustache. Can anyone guess what background that man had? Anyhow, uh, pencil mustaches are very popular uh, in certain groups and bushy mustaches are popular in other groups. And when I was growing up, men didn't generally have facial hair, but Men have facial hair today, generally speaking. And so, uh, you know, I had a beard in seminary. And when I was finishing seminary, I decided, you know, I need to get a call to a church. And I shaved off my, my facial hair. That's odd. People used to look at people very negatively with facial hair. I don't know what that was about. But anyhow, customs change. Now, when you're going to shave and you've got a pencil mustache, you have to shave very carefully or you will remove the pencil mustache. Anyhow, so I look in the mirror and I always want to make sure my hair looks okay. And while I look in the mirror, I have an image in my mind of what I want to look like. Okay? And so as I look in the mirror, I'm changing my appearance in the mirror to reflect what's in my mind of what I want to become. Now that's the figure of speech in verse 18 that Paul uses. And what he's telling us is that what we should see in the mirror is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're looking for a model, the model is Jesus. Now the picture here is this. Every single human being on this planet is in the image of God. But because our first parents sinned against God, that image became gnarled and twisted and radically marred. It would be like, and I don't want to break a mirror up here and get all that glass over things, it would be like looking at a broken mirror. And if you look in a broken mirror, you might have an eye here and an eye here, an ear over here, you might have three or four noses in a broken mirror. And the deal that we have to understand is this, every single human being 
reflects the glory of God as an image bearer, but that image is broken. And so people are not like they were meant to be. And we are not at all like our first parents. That's why we do things that are not right. That's why there's no perfect marriage. That's why at the end of the uh, month, we'll celebrate a real miracle. 75 years of marriage. Joe and Norma Jean, I hope they're okay today. 75 years of marriage. We will, we will stay late uh, after church and we'll have snack food like we have on Christmas Eve and we'll have a cake celebrating 75 years of marriage. Why is it hard to get 75 years of marriage? Because you live with somebody with seven noses and eyeballs on the top of the head and on their chin and ears all over the place. In that metaphor, that woman, that man, is still in the image of God, but it's a broken image. And therefore, it's tough to live with another person. It's tough to live with another person. And I'll tell you, the toughest stage in the marriage comes when the honeymoon's over. When is that? It's when you have one bathroom and you both got to be somewhere and you say, I'm sorry, I got to come in here. And that's when the honeymoon's over. And then that's when you begin to choose. As a friend of mine, I told the story before, I was involved in smuggling Bibles into Beijing, China. And uh, one of the men smuggling those Bibles was a Catholic priest by the name of Mike Manning. He's dead now. Anyhow, uh, Mike told me this story. He used to interview Hollywood stars because he had a TV show. And uh, he interviewed Ricardo Montalban. I've said this before, but it's so well, well uh, worth repeating. He said, Ricardo, you live in a place where it's very rare for a couple to be married very long. What is the secret of your marriage? And he said, every day I choose to love my wife. Now, that's an interesting thing. That's an act of the will. And so when a marriage moves out of the honeymoon stage, it's on rocky ground until it dawns on a person that the love that sustains a marriage is not emotional. Emotions are important. It is the will. The human being reading God's word says, I'm going to do what I've got to do to make this thing work. And as I said recently in a wedding, uh, I said, until you're ready to serve somebody, you're not ready to be married. Mm. Because it's about self-denial. So anyhow, what I'm getting at is that it's hard to live with another human being. Because human beings are no longer perfectly reflecting the image of God. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world... The eternal Son of God became a real human being just like you and just like me, except he never sinned. And one of the purposes he came into the world for, first and foremost, was to die to take away the guilt of our sins. But he also came to change us so that we would not be obnoxious creeps and wicked, self-centered narcissists who delight 
in putting ourselves above everybody else and hold on to grudges. <laughs> wow. And so the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life so that you might become like him. The model isn't the Ten Commandments. The model isn't even the two commandments, love God with all your heart and your neighbors yourself. The model is Christ. Why is Christ the model? Because Christ restores the image of God in human beings. And that's the model. And so what Paul is saying is, as we begin to understand who Jesus is, as we begin to focus on, Lord, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. As we begin to pick up the Bible and read it, we are reading a book that is designed to function like a mirror to show us what we need to become. And he's saying there, we all with unveiled faces, he says, reflect the Lord's glory. The picture is really looking in the mirror and changing our appearance as we brush our hair, as we trim our mustache, as we shave and other things, uh, it's to make us like Jesus. And now this is the thing that I think, because we're going to come back here in a moment, that's so important to remember. Many people confuse the Bible with uh, the goal of the Christian life. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 5 and verse 39. John chapter 5 and verse 39. And we see that on page 1655. At the top of that second column, he says, John 539, page 1655. You diligently study the scriptures because you think, you imagine that by them you possess eternal life. You know, it's interesting. If you, if you read the, the Talmud, and discover Jewish commentaries, that's exactly what the Jewish people believed, the Pharisees. You know, this is how I get eternal life, this book. This book will change me. And I'm going to tell you, you can know this book from cover to cover and not be changed at all. You can find the Bible to be an amazingly intellectually stimulating book. It is. You'll learn amazing things as you read the Bible. But you know what? You can be as lost as a demon and know this book from cover to cover. A friend of mine has told me several times I like to get into discussions with him. He was, uh, he was a Korean War veteran, and he's a very interesting and colorful man. And he'll sometimes say to me, that he'll quote this to me. He said, you know, when Churchill and Roosevelt were meeting with Joe Stalin, Churchill warned uh, Franklin Roosevelt, don't try to get into discussion about the Bible with Joe Stalin. He knows the Bible better than anyone I know. Did you know Joseph Stalin was studying to be a priest and went to seminary? But he was never born again. But he knew the Bible, and he could quote the Bible to Franklin Roosevelt, and he could quote it to Winston Churchill, but he didn't know the author. So it's possible to know the book 
and to really work on the book. And we're not just talking here about viewing the Bible superstitiously. You know, there are people that keep a a New Testament in their purse, not because they want to read it, but because it's like an amulet, a magic charm. I won't get mugged if I've got a New Testament in my purse. Uh, Anyhow, it's not even that. It's people think that if they study the book, if they memorize Scripture, they get eternal life from the very words of Scripture. But notice what Jesus says. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think, you imagine, you suppose that by them you possess eternal life. He says, these are the Scriptures that testify about me Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So where's life? Life is in Jesus Christ. The Bible is an amazing tool to connect with Christ. The Lord's Supper is an amazing tool to connect with Christ. But we must not have a superstitious view of the Lord's Supper or of the Bible. And what do I mean by that? The purpose of the Lord's Supper is that we would feed on Christ himself. That our mind's focus would not be on the bread and the wine, but on Christ himself who meets us in this meal, who feeds us with himself. It isn't the mere ritual. It isn't the mere act of taking the Lord's Supper that gives us life. You know, that is a doctrine that is taught within a huge branch of the Christian church. That by the act itself, ex opera operato, by the act itself, we receive Christ. And so in, in that particular uh, ecclesiastical uh, organization, merely taking the Eucharist, the wafer, merely taking the bread, and they say that both the wine and the bread are in the, in the wafer, that merely taking it saves you. Merely taking it saves you. Of course, you have to keep doing it. Just in that same view is that if you are baptized with water, automatically uh, you're saved. And uh, I remember discussing with a bishop in, in, one of, in that particular group. And I referred to people who were part of that as nominal people. What are nominal Christians? Nominal Christians are people that say, well, I'm a Christian. But you never see them in church, ever. Nominal Christians. Oh, I'm a Christian. But they'll cuss you out and they'll cheat you and uh, lie to you and deceive you. Real Christians are people who are involved with other Christians and who worship. And I'm not talking about people who can't come. I'm talking about people who won't come. But I, I refer to someone as a nominal Catholic. And he said, oh, there are no nominal Catholics. I said, really? He said, oh, yes, that's true. He said, there are no nominal Catholics. You've been baptized. You've been born again. If you take the Eucharist, you're receiving Christ himself, not just bread and wine. You are actually receiving the literal, physical, chew it with your teeth, swallow it with your throat, blood, and body of Christ. Literally transubstantiation. So there are people that put their trust in the physical object. And let me say this, we should not view this in a materialistic way, this book, 
as somehow or another having power in and of itself. The purpose of the Bible is that we will find Jesus there. And so Jesus is saying, these are the scriptures, he says, that uh, testify about me, verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So turning back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, let's look again at what he says there on page 1797. And he says in verse 18, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect or behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. So in other words, the purpose of reading the Bible, the purpose of hearing a sermon is not that you find some interesting fact, Not that you discover some new interesting doctrine. It's that you encounter the living word of God himself. Because Jesus is the living word of God. The Bible's true. It's God's word. It's without error. It's infallible. But the Bible itself will not, cannot save you or me. Any more than that bread and wine can save you and me. We've got to find Jesus in the book. And I will say this about having a quiet time or devotional life. Read the Bible until you find Christ. How are people saved? I'll say this. People are never saved by saying the sinner's prayer. America is filled with people who've walked the aisle, prayed the sinner's prayer, shaken the preacher's hand and written down on a little track somewhere the date. I know when I was saved, I can tell you, it's September 4th, 1964. But I'll say this, if on February the 6th, 2022, I'm living like a hellion, then I need to doubt whether I'm saved at all. If I can sin and not feel conviction, I need to doubt my salvation. Not doubt that Christ died for sinners, but doubt whether I have appropriated that salvation. Because if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. So I'm saying again, it's not by walking down an aisle and saying the sinner's prayer. It's by seeking the Lord Jesus Christ until you find him. And that's how people are saved. Seek the Lord. Seek Him with all your heart. When you come to the Lord's Supper today, ask the Lord Jesus Christ to make Himself real to you by means of the bread and wine. It's finding Christ. It's seeking Christ. Dear ones, let me say again, the whole purpose of the Bible is that we would know the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we pick up the Bible, we need to read it to find the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm struck at how oddly things can happen. You've heard the story of St. Augustine. Uh, He was a brilliant man. He had a praying mama. I had a praying mama. And St. Augustine wandered way, way far away from the truth that his mother raised him in. He was a philosopher. And one day... He was in a garden, and he heard a voice coming over the fence, over the wall. It was a stone wall. And the voice was singing in Latin, Tola Lega, which is Latin, say, take up and read. Take up and read. And you know what he read? That book, the Bible, was actually open in that garden to a place. 
And, and I'll tell you what it said. It said, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. And you know, this is the deal. This is how the Holy Spirit works. It's called effectual calling. A word that someone might have read a hundred times, a sermon that they may have heard a thousand times, there comes a day when there's a quickening. And when that quickening occurs, faith comes. And that's what happened with Augustine. Augustine went from being a Manichaeist to becoming a Christian when he heard a children singing a song, Tola Lege, Tola Lege, over the stone wall. And he picks up the book. And it's open to St. Paul's epistle to the Romans. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do today. We want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want simply to have our sins forgiven. We want to become like Christ. We want to pray and ask the Lord Jesus to be real to us in the bread and in the wine. Because that's the purpose. Because Christ actually is present in the bread and the wine, not in them, but in the act as we worship him, not the bread and wine, as we worship him, he will display himself to us as we seek him. And it's exactly like preaching. I always pray for the power of God to come on me when I preach. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My words have no power in them. But if the Holy Ghost breathes life into what I'm saying, people will be saved by it. And I always preach assuming that there are two kinds of people present. Lost people and saved people. That didn't mean that the left hand side over here is lost. Uh, or everybody on the right is saved. It's simply saying, I assume there are people who have not yet been saved and people who have been. If people have been saved, then that word, if the Holy Spirit is present in the preaching, that word will give them life, fresh life, fresh renewal. They will hear the voice of Jesus saying to them. And let me give you an example. How do you know that a preacher is preaching with unction or anointing? God will sometimes cause your mind to wander. So what now? I thought, Bob, you want us to pay attention? Well, I do. But sometimes in the course of preaching, as in the course of taking the Lord's Supper, your mind will drift over to something else. And you'll say, Lord, I just cannot forgive Lulabelle. I just can't forgive Lulabelle. She broke my heart. She wounded me so terribly. I just have this in my crawl. And that means you got it in your heart too. And I just can't get blessed anymore. I can't rejoice in the Lord anymore. I can't find happiness. I can't find no satisfaction. And you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Not through the literal words the preacher says or even the literal words of Scripture, but the Spirit of God is in the message in such a way that you're reminded of something you need to deal with today. And so what I'm saying is this as we look back at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces uh, behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. That's my desire for myself. It truly is. I can say at this point in my life, 
I've come to realize how cheap and tawdry all the things this life offers are. There's no satisfaction. And I've come to realize what a priceless treasure is in Christ Himself. And I want you to know more consistently, and I want myself to know more consistently, the love of Jesus and what it is to plead with God. Make me like Jesus, because I'll say this, dear ones. I realize, particularly as I was on a country road and a freight train was moving very slowly, and I knew I couldn't see the end of it, and it was virtually stopped unloading coal at a power plant that we would have to make a U-turn to get here on time. Was I like Christ at that moment? No. But you know, as I began to praise God and say, Lord, you've done this on purpose for us. Maybe there were to be a patch of ice somewhere that needed to be melted. Lord, you're in this. And when I began to praise God and to thank God, I became like Jesus. And that's the goal of my life and the goal of your life if you know the Lord. Do you know him? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would take the written word, which is your word, inerrant and infallible, and you would take that word as it's been proclaimed to us, which is not infallible because it's preached by fallible men. Lord, you would take that word nevertheless, and you would take this bread, and you would take this wine, and you would use them to point us to Christ so that as we reflect on who Jesus is, on how he lived, on how he lived a life of utter, total, and complete self-denial, Lord, we would cry out from our heart of hearts, Oh, Lord, please, please make me like Jesus. And we would confess, Lord, I'm not what I want to be. Lord, I pray that you would make us what we want to be. And in the course of time, we know that you will fully do that when we go meet the Lord Jesus Christ. So bless the word we've heard and bless the elements of the Lord's Supper that we may truly feast on the Lord Jesus Christ himself with no superstition regarding the bread or the wine, but with a wholehearted seeking of you, seeking you till we find you for Jesus' sake. Amen.